Hey everyone, Shannon here. I am jumping on before our episode to give you a trigger warning for today. Today's episode, we are discussing racism and its impact in newborn ICU treatment. If you've had traumatic experiences of racism, if you have had pregnancy loss or infant loss, this episode may be triggering for you. We wanted you to know that right away. If this isn't the episode for you to listen to, we understand. We'll be back next week with a more lighthearted topic, our top 10 praise and worship songs. So thank you so much for all you do to support our podcast. We look forward to talking with you soon. Welcome back to season seven of Plaid Skirts and Basic Black, the Black Catholic podcast where we talk about culture, pop culture, and faith all through a Black Catholic lens. I'm Marcia, the co-host who just woke up from a very long nap. (laughs) I am joined as usual by my co-host Shannon, who swears she's just resting her eyes. Yep, absolutely. We are joined today by a special guest who we are honored to have on the show, Dr. Kara McNeilis. In addition to being Shannon's amazing friend and wedding planning twin, Kara is a neonatologist. For those of you who don't do medical speak or watch Grey's Anatomy, (laughs) that means that she's a NICU physician, as well as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, friend, and whatever other qualifiers you want to add to that list. Welcome to the show, Kara. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to do this. So I got a couple questions, okay? And I need, I need okay. you to answer them as honestly as you can. Are you ready? Okay, I guess. <laughs> One, are you black? No. <laughs> okay, that's fine. All right, it's all right. <laughs> are you Catholic? Yes. Yay! <laughs> hey, welcome to the show. Tell us one more thing. I need to know one more thing. What yeah. is the most basic thing about you? This is such a good question. So I think the most basic thing about me is my side part because of my hair everything in social media about millennials I'm like I got it I got the the side part and the jeans Mm -hmm. and I don't think that's a bad thing I think I'm glad that I'm not really young (laughs) like I'm happy to be in the generation that I am (laughs) and if you guys want to even like know more about me I did text my sisters and ask them what they thought the most basic thing about me is. Um, So I'm the oldest of seven kids. I have three sisters. And, you know, siblings just keep you humble. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of reasons that, you know, God blesses us as siblings. And one of them is to keep things real. And one of my sisters said, you're Sperry's, like the shoes. Yes. And my other sister said, I was going to say you're Sperry's, but then I remembered they're really, really old. And so they probably don't count (laughs) and they do, they have holes in them and I'm still wearing them. (laughs) That's part of the beauty of them. So I'm an Xennial. So I'm like, I get all of this, but I also am legit Gen X in a lot of ways too, but I totally, yes. So I just had to throw away a really pair of old, old Toms. So I get the Mm -hmm. old shoes Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. (laughs) run their way. Well, you know, you just like just got them in the right spot. They're perfectly comfortable now. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it was like, no, these are comfortable. This is how I want them. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I do have to say one other thing related to my introduction. So I work for Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. I'm Catholic. 
Um, Cincinnati Children's does not have a religious affiliation. So my views, my viewpoints, things that I may say do not necessarily reflect the views of my employer. Great. That is important information to have. Okay. So we're going to talk a little today about a couple things. But before we do that, first, is there anything else that we should know about you? I will mention, like, I, I don't necessarily consider myself like the expert on this topic, but I do think it is the it's the responsibility of all of us to dismantle white supremacy. So I think even, you know, I may not be the most important expert on this topic, but I think I have something to contribute. Oh, that sounds good. Let's see how the weather is. Shannon, what is the weather in your neck of the woods? Uh, I didn't think about this before we talked. Um, (laughs) uh, It's kind of like a hazy, warm, mid-70s kind of day. A little overcast, not really much going on here. Eric and I are going out tonight on a date, which is exciting, like in a real restaurant, you know, oh. and that va- fully vax life. It's, uh, it's, we're killing it out here. Fancy. <laughs> Fancy uh, date night. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited. We're actually going to a Hawaiian restaurant. It's been rated one of the best restaurants in Indy and they have like poke fries, which sounds really interesting. That sounds amazing. Other like, really cool right things. And they're all, it's also a rum bar. So they have like all these like mixed cocktails with rum. And I'm like, yeah, give me that. I love a Mai Tai. Oh, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. My weather, I feel like I told you I got up from a long nap. I've been sleeping a lot lately. I've had a, I had an intense camp week. Um, in our last episode, we talked about how I had to do a rescue. Yeah. So this is all in that same week that we're recording. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, I came home and I went to a movie and then I slept and then I got up and I had to do a zoom call and then I slept. So I feel like I just like, I've been sleeping in the middle of a rainstorm, like Taylor Swift and everything, man. (laughs) References in a rainstorm. Definitely. Like, I feel like I woke up and everything's raining. You know, that really good calming feeling. Like that's how it feels outside. Mm -hmm. Like after a rainstorm, it is all calm. I have slept. It is amazing. So I feel good. And I'm going to leave the house eventually and buy some chocolate and maybe some pizza. So we'll see how that goes. Sounds wonderful. Right? I was like, I will get some. I might also just have it delivered because I don't feel like going. To oh, that too. But I love a fruit pizza. Let me tell you, with a chocolate drizzle, maybe think about that. <laughs> that Whoa. Really yeah. yeah, with the cream cheese, but no yeah. fluff in it this time. No fluff. No. Oh, guys. <laughs> Marcia came to my parents' house for the 4th of July and someone gave her a dip and did not tell her that there were marshmallows. And marshmallows have gelatin, which is a pork product. So if you are familiar, Marcia is allergic to pork. It was not good. The EpiPen was involved. I was ready to like freak out. Everyone in my family is freaking out. I was like, it's okay. We just get the EpiPen. She'll be fine. I know. And everyone's looking at you like, Shannon. Like, it's fine. It was really funny because they're like, oh, there, it's this is really good fruit dip. And I've had fruit dip before, and fruit dip usually doesn't have fluff in it. Like, right. And so, so that was a special a ingredient. And I was like, <laughs> I took a bite, I put it in my mouth, and I automatically was like, is that marshmallow in there? <laughs> And then Shannon was, I don't think she knew what happened at first because I ran away. And then they were like, she doesn't like marshmallow. And Shannon was like, what? No. 
I think that's a sign of a close friendship when you're like, it's just a minor medical emergency. It's not a big deal. <laughs> I know. Like none of her family would leave me alone. Like they were, it was fine. Like her mom, her mom and her mom's friend and her cousin, like all these medical professionals were like, yep. let's stay close to you. I go, it's friending. <laughs> I just spoke to myself. It's okay. <laughs> oh yeah. They were ready to intubate you with a straw. That's <laughs> We were ready for a drink. It was it was intense. I was like, she has the EpiPen. I can administer the EpiPen if needed. Just jab her. Jab her. I know. I just just jab myself. Like that's what I did. So so I think it's raining for me too. But have you ever heard the expression? There's no such thing as bad weather. There's only bad clothing. Like mm-hmm. it's raining, yes. but I've got some like good rubber boots. I've got a rain jacket on. I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. I'm like outside in the rain. It's fine. That's awesome. Look at you. You also got a Taylor Swift thing going on. Uh, are you a Swifty? <laughs> are you a Swifty? Kara, say yes. I don't know that I can self-identify that way. I mean, I like her, but I just feel like, you know, if you're saying, if, am I on your level? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Is anyone though? Is anyone? <laughs> I know. There are people on my level of Swiftiness. I am not on some people's level. I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, great. Well, this, I love it. We're like, what, 15 minutes in and we have not talked about our topic, but we've talked about, we talked about medical emergencies and medical terms. So I want to give a second trigger warning to the one in addition to the beginning of the episode. Now, before we get into our topic, just a reminder that today's, we are talking about the impact of racism in medical care and more specifically in NICU care. If you've had experience with racial trauma, pregnancy loss, or infant loss, this may be triggering for you. So please take some time if you need it. And on to the show. So Kara, before we get into the impact of racism in NICU care, first, can you tell us a little bit about why an infant might need NICU care in the first place? Sure. So some of the most common reasons that a baby ends up going into the newborn ICU are prematurity or some type of congenital anomalies. Both of these reasons are complex problems. And I want to emphasize that they're not the mom's fault. Sometimes we do know why they happen. So for example, a baby might be delivered, intentionally delivered early to save the mother's life or because of the mother's health. But many babies are born premature and we don't know why the preterm labor occurred. Again, even though um, there's a lot out there that I think speaks to mom guilt and things like that, keeping a healthy pregnancy, Again, the reality is that when most infants end up in the newborn ICU and if they're there for prematurity or for a congenital anomaly, it is not a question of could the mom have done something different if she, you know, should have uh, taken another vitamin, avoided something in the pregnancy. It is usually not something that the mom did that she could have done different. This is something that happens even despite moms taking really good care of themselves or, you know, doing what their doctors advise them to do. So prematurity is one of the most common reasons a baby would be in the NICU, and prematurity overall is common. About 1 in 10 babies are born early. And so if you think about 10% of all babies being born premature, and you think about how many people you know, so if you have at least 100 friends on Facebook who have children, you know, if your social network is large enough to have you know, many people that have children, most likely most people listening to this will know someone who had a premature baby. And so this is something that I I hope it doesn't personally, you know, affect you, but it might. And it might be impacting someone that you're close to a family member or a friend. 
this is really tough stuff. So we have a black infant death crisis. Black infants die at higher rates than white infants. That's true across the United States. That's true in my community in my hometown. And so if you are pro-life, this should be an important issue to you. If you care about babies living, then you need to care about racism and inequity that affects infants and that makes black infants die at much higher rate than white infants. And so when we look at why, like why are babies dying in general or why are black infants dying, we have to look at why the death occurred and when the death occurred to be able to do anything about it to prevent it from happening. If you look at all of all the infants that have died, and most states keep vital statistics, so this is stuff that you might even be able to find through the power of Google, but also March of Dimes nationally keeps statistics about this. There's more than one peak, and one of the peaks or the most common timing of when an infant dies is in the first 24 hours after birth. And so then that speaks to prevention having to happen even during the pregnancy or maybe even before the pregnancy to keep an infant from dying right after they're born. Wow. You're right. This is heavy and it's important. So if interventions are necessary, even before babies are born, the maternal care is especially important for baby's health, correct? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm not excusing inequities in the NICU. We're going to talk about this. But if we kind of take a step back and even talk about inequity and disparities that are affecting Black mom before the pregnancy or during the pregnancy, it makes sense that a mom and a baby, their health is linked. And that if a, a Black mother has blocked access to health care or gets different health care than a white mom, I think without having a medical background, you can pretty easily understand that that might affect the health of her pregnancy, whether her infant is delivered prematurely or with another problem, and then how likely their infant is to survive. And so actually, and I'm not sure, you know, the timing of when this podcast will come out, but we're talking in July. This past week, CNN actually had a really nice opinion piece about this and talking about Black mothers, Black pregnant mothers and their difference in mortality and their difference in access to health care. So again, before we even talk about the baby being born, we have to think about what type of health care the mom got before her pregnancy or during her pregnancy that could then lead to a difference in infant mortality. So March of Dimes is an organization that kind of gives the U.S. a report card. And unfortunately, we are doing worse over the past few years in terms of birth inequity and racial disparity. Our outcomes are um, growing in a gap between white and black infants. So in terms of who's working on this or who's thinking about this critically, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, they're not specific to moms and, and preemies, but they look at health overall. But they do have an initiative that they're supporting in which women of color can define what respectful care means to them so that hospitals can implement something that's equitable and have a quality standard. Awesome. In terms of what I'm aware of happening locally in my community, Cradle Cincinnati is an organization I'm familiar with that I support that is really a collaborative effort between parents healthcare professionals, but also community members. And they're trying to overall reduce infant mortality in our county and our city. And they've realized that to do that, because there's this big racial disparity, they have to work on racism and they have to work on birth inequity. Otherwise, they're never going to make a dent in infant mortality. We, I'll talk about other things that they do. But one thing that I know that they do on a local legislative level 
is that they are trying to work with local legislators to make sure that pregnant moms can get first on the list for housing for moms that need subsidized housing. Oh, that's wonderful. It'll be a two-year wait for housing. Right. And you hear that? And then like when I heard that they were working on that, I was like, that's not already a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that pregnant women are not already prioritized. Even though I'm, I'm mentioning this, I'm like, I have to put a disclaimer. Okay. So Black maternal, Black infant death, it is not just explained away by education or class or something. So those things definitely compound the issue and, mm-hmm. and compound the issue of inequity. But even um, a Black mom who has a doctorate degree and private insurance, her infant has a higher risk of death than a white mom with only high school education and public insurance. So you can't just explain it away by like class or poverty. Can you say more about that then? So when you are looking at this issue, you have to figure out like, okay, so where, where's the problem and why is there a difference? Um, unfortunately, there's still this like long held belief, I think, by a lot of people that race is a genetic or a biological variable. And that's not real. Like it is a social construct. So it's real in the sense that if people are affected by the stressors of racism and are not given the same opportunities because of their race, clearly that can impact your health. But it's not real in the sense like there's a gene, and you know, if the gene has uh, one signature, then that means you're black and another signature means you're white. So it's not biologically real, but it is certainly real in terms of it makes a difference in your health and in health disparities. Mm-hmm. And so even if you control for all the other things that can kind of have that snowball effect, right? Because if you have structural racism, you don't have the same access to education, you don't have the same access to housing, then all of those are other reasons your health could be affected. Mm-hmm. But even if you control for those things, take them all, take away those layers, and you are otherwise like trying to compare apple to apple, there's still a difference in the care that's delivered and the health outcomes of Black pregnant mothers from white pregnant mothers and a Black infant from a white infant. Wow. So to go back to the idea that care for the mother is sort of intimately linked to the survival rate of infants, um, can you talk a little bit more about like how something maybe like gestational age might affect that and so on? No, this is a good, this is a good question. Okay. So I take care of infants that are born as early as 22 weeks. A full-term pregnancy is 40 weeks. So I think most people, you know, again, if you aren't medical, haven't watched Grey's Anatomy, (laughs) as you said in the introduction, I think you can appreciate the fact that the odds are definitely stacked against a baby who's born at 22 weeks, much more than an infant that is born close to their due date at 37 weeks. I've been kind of talking about prematurity as a whole category, but the earlier you're born, then certainly the worse your prognosis is. But then in addition to that, there are things that can be done during the pregnancy that if a um, OB recognizes that a mom is at risk of delivering early, that can dramatically change the outcomes for um, a preemie when they're born. So things like steroids, if they're administered in a timely fashion in the correct time before a baby comes mm. early, they really impact their respiratory outcomes. Other medications can affect an infant's chance of having a neurodevelopmental problem. So the care that the mom receives affects the baby when they're born. So a 25-week infant that was born to a mom who didn't have good prenatal care or didn't have those interventions done, delivered without them, has a different prognosis than an infant that received the correct interventions from um, an OB, which might include different types of medications. 
So those babies, when they're born, before I've taken started taking care of the infant, or right at the time that they're born, they already have a difference in their prognosis. And so it matters if a pregnant mom is given the same um, or the best health care, and there is a disparity in the health care that black or white pregnant mom receives. I mean, wow. sounds like it's very much a team effort. And so if race is really impacting that team effort, then outcomes are not going to be as good as if we're kind of doing everything we can. Does that sound right? Yeah, no, that's true. And I would say the thing that gets very confusing when you untangle these issues. So first of all, when you look at a complex problem, it's unlikely you're going to have a simple solution. It's still going to be a complex answer. So it is an issue, but it's not just an issue of each individual provider having, you know, an implicit bias and that each person has implicit bias and intentionally or unintentionally, consciously or unconsciously treats one mom different than another or one baby different than another. The issue is that it is a team effort. And so it's not just the doctor, the obstetrician deciding to give a medication or not, or how fast that they put an order in for medication. It goes back to, does every mom have the ability to get into the doctor's office in a timely fashion? And I mean, even personally, like if you've made a doctor's appointment, you may realize that it's not just like, is the doctor taking good care of me or not? It's did the secretary answer the phone promptly and help me get my appointment? Did someone get the medical records to the office correctly? When I was there, did the staff treat me the same? Did a medical assistant or nurse treat me the same? You know, it is a team effort. So it's not just like one person having implicit bias or not. It's a systems issue. I'm hearing that there is a holistic approach to a pregnancy. Like it's not just about the child and the woman. It's about everyone else who comes in contact with that child and woman. And it's other systems that are in place. Well, I am a first mom and I had a pregnancy. I was pregnant with my son. And I had obstacles to get through for the doctor's office. And you're saying these things. And I'm just like, that's absolutely right. I would get put on hold and I was on Medicaid and I didn't get all the things I needed all the time. And I didn't always get my vitamins. And my son was born super healthy. Like he was a chunk, y'all. He was a chunk. Cutie. Um, <laughs> cutie. Now he's 18. He's not. Now he's 18. <laughs> there we go. And I'm hearing all this. And I was like, yes. I was super frustrated a lot. And that was in 2003 when smartphones weren't even a thing. <laughs> and so there's a yeah. holistic approach to caring for a woman or a baby. It's, it's everyone else. It's also everyone else. Right. Listen, I'm eventually <laughs> pointing like, yes, that was really, it was quite <laughs> awful. Like, <laughs> I know this is where I'm like, I hope people really are taking us seriously. And like, if this is a hard topic for you, that you take some self-care and, you know, it's not like you get points for listening to this topic if it, if it hurts to listen to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, oh, okay, I get like 10 points for struggling through that, even though it was a little too close to home because, you know, I had a, a tough issue, right? But that being said, I would say for any listener that's like, no, this is, you know, this is not an issue for me personally. Like, I didn't have any problems. I don't know. Any, then I'm like, okay, well, then I'm really challenging you that this is happening. And if you care about babies surviving, then like, these are things you have to care about. Mm-hmm. Um, that should not, to me, that should not be a controversial topic. It shouldn't be controversial that we all want babies to survive. That should be just like, yes, <laughs> like Absolutely. everyone is pro baby surviving. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, we'll talk more about this later, but it just speaks to the need for a consistent life ethic for all of us. It's a whole country, right? Not just as Catholics, but as a whole community that we need to really examine more what we need to talk about. Okay. We won't have Shannon's opinions. 
Let's okay. keep talking. All right. <laughs> gotta get to <laughs> the next. <laughs> These are conversations Shannon and I have while she's driving to pick up her kids. <laughs> We're constantly like, okay, so Kara, let's talk about what happens when a woman does need to deliver early. What does research say about racial disparities in NICU care? Great question. Okay. Yeah. I'm not trying to give myself a pass, right? And say like, well, it's just because of the care before the baby is born. No, unfortunately, there are still um, inequities after the infant is born, and there is a disparity. Um, between black infants and white infants. There was a systematic review. And what that means is a group of authors, the scientists come together and say, we want to find every single article, every single study that was done that answers this question. And before they start their literature review, and it's not Google, literally, but it's like medical Google, before we go through all of the literature, use that search engine, we come up with like, what type of studies will we include? What things will we say? No, that doesn't exactly answer our question and try to pull in every single study that answers the question of whether there is racial disparity in the newborn ICU and in their care. And so when a group of scientists did that, they found 88 articles that answered that question directly. They started out with hundreds, but then they're like, okay, wait, how many of them actually like get to that question? And then are we able to combine all of that data to give us an answer? Or is it a, the case where they are all looking at racial disparity, but they're kind of looking at different aspects to it and to, they all tell us different things. And so what they kind of found, some of their conclusions were that the racial disparities in NICU care, it's in more than one area or more than one aspect. So part of it has to do with problems that are structural, so like the setting. So if, you know, each hospital is different and whether there's hospitals that are higher quality or lower quality in terms of their NICU or their level of NICU care, and whether the ones that are higher quality and lower quality have the same proportions of black and white infants, or if um, black infants are being primarily cared for in like lower quality NICUs. They looked at aspects related to processes or processes within the system in terms of like referral to services. And then they looked at just a straight up outcome of like, how do, how do the infants actually do? So if you pick some of the, the main complications of prematurity, the like well-known ones that are at risk for every premature infant, and then of course, like the worst outcome of death, are they at the same rates for black infants and white infants? And so unfortunately, like I said, this is a complex issue. There are disparities in all of these different aspects. And so it's both like differential receipt. So meaning the infant is actually receiving a different type of care, or if there's even access to different aspects of care. Like some of it is explained, you know, some of it is explained by the hospital setting and the kind of essentially the quality of the newborn ICU. There's different levels of NICU care, but then even within similar levels of NICU care, like one's called a level three, another one's called a level three, things like staffing ratios are very important. And again, you know, I, I recognize the listeners are primarily not medical, but you can appreciate the fact that if one nurse is caring for only two babies or one nurse is caring for four babies, that there's a difference in the care that those babies are receiving. Yeah. Or if, um, so I'm a neonatologist, if one neonatologist has to take care of only 10 patients, or if they have to take care of 30 patients, that clearly my time and the way my day is structured, I'm going to give better care if I'm not overburdened and if a hospital is properly staffed. And so a little bit of that is 
geographic and a little bit of it is due to like neighborhood segregation and to some extent just that historical segregation that unfortunately it's, we're still seeing the effects of in many cities. That's a lot. That sounds a lot. Um, I used to work for a school and so did Shannon mm-hmm. that classrooms with smaller class sizes have students more likely to succeed than, you know, lower funded classrooms that have more students. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the same issue. It's about getting that quality and I guess less of a quantity. you know really stretch out resources Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense right and maybe it's not the hospital itself maybe it's the OB that delivers the mom like where the OB practices and then where the OB's office is and then where the OB is delivering infants and whether you know they end up in the NICU or not no one plans to be in the NICU like no mom is like you know I really want to have a premature baby like that's not anyone's plan yep (laughs) no no fair no I'm pretty sure not it's unexpected. I mean, there are some moms that like they're counseled for a while because the OB realizes that they're at risk. And so they, they kind of have that heads up that that's probably going to happen. For some moms, they go into labor very quickly and deliver fast and don't have time to wrap their head around, you know, the fact that their baby is not being born healthy, their baby's being born very early. So this is not an issue where moms ahead of time can be like, you know what, I know I'm going to have uh, an early baby. That's my plan. So like, let me shop around and find the right NICU for me. That's just not how that goes down. Mm-hmm. What steps can be taken though? If one in 10 babies are born premature, what can a mom do? Can she shop around for a hospital or a doctor that has good NICU care? What, like, what can be done if I'm like, if this happens and I have these possibilities or I can, you know, like that's how people make the choices between having like a, a midwife or a doctor because mm-hmm. of your access sure. to her care. Things like that. So I'll I, I'll answer your question. I'm not going to dodge it. But when I talk about this, to me, it's not like a call to action for what pregnant moms need to do. It's a call to action for like what we need to do, mm-hmm. and in the hospital systems, and what we need to do for quality improvement methodology. So I'm I'm not dodging your question. I'll get to it. But I'm like, no. When I hear that, I'm like, okay. So then we need to fix it because we can't just have the standard that different babies get different care depending on where they're born. That's not acceptable. Like, obviously, I'm getting a little riled up even talking about it. <laughs> Welcome to Plant Skirts of Basic Black. <laughs> it's heated. Okay. So I'm just like, all right, if we know this, then like we need to work on it. This is the issue we have to fix. And it needs to be at every level. So it needs to be like at a legislative level. It needs to be at the hospital system level. Many states have a perinatal quality collaborative. So like Ohio does, California does, a lot of states have it where meaning they're not just working on their own hospital. They're saying like, as a state, let's come together and improve it for everyone. So the only way that these are going to be fixed is if everyone recognizes that's a problem, takes ownership of it, and then tries to fix it. And again, if it's a complex problem, it's going to have complex solutions. But okay, I'm not trying to dodge your question, right? So like, you're like, if I'm pregnant, and like, where should I deliver? Um, I would say, you know, in general, obstetricians do counsel moms to say, like, if they're at risk of something happening. So it might be a surprise from the beginning of pregnancy, but some moms will find out that they're higher risk or realize that they're in, in the early signs of labor prematurely. And I would say that, you know, there are different levels of NICU care. And it's something that I don't think a lot of pregnant moms look at when they think about what hospital they're delivering at. If you're going to have a healthy pregnancy, like you don't necessarily need to be at a hospital that has a level three NICU, but infants sometimes are delivered at a hospital that have a, has a level one or level two nursery care. And then if they're either born too early or too low weight or have other complications, the infant ends up getting transferred from the level one or level two to a level three NICU. So I do think that that's not publicly known. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that can be stressful as a mom. You know, we had our oldest went into NICU care for just a few days. He was full term and healthy, but he had a fever. So they had to monitor him. And I was lucky that I was still in the hospital with him so I could go and see him. But the hospital where I delivered, I believe has a level two, but another hospital is a well-known children's hospital in our area is a level three. And if he needed more care, he would be transferred there, which is about halfway across the city. That's stressful as a mom, like you're recovering, you are, you know, your body is exhausted. And so to not only be away from your infant, but also then to sort of have to have maybe your spouse or your partner going to the other hospital to care for them while you're needing them as well. It's just a very stressful birth is always stressful. <laughs> birth is yeah. always stressful. You don't yep. have to be more stressful. <laughs> and and this is like I don't want to get too off topic because I could also talk about this issue, but there are maternity deserts. So people have probably heard the phrase like food desert of saying there are neighborhoods or parts of cities where you can't access fresh fruits and vegetables or healthy food and food is at like convenience stores, gas stations, things like that. So there are also in our country, unfortunately, there's maternity deserts, meaning areas that do not have good OB support where the nearest delivery hospital may be hours away. Um, This might There might be a Venn diagram with racial disparity, but this is not one of the same issues. That's I'm like, let's not get too much off topic. But but that is something that is true in our country, unfortunately, that where you live does impact the care that you can receive and not just for maternity and for, you know, your infant care, all aspects of healthcare. Unfortunately, that's true. Yeah. Wow. Kind of jumping from there back to our topic, because I'm the one who got us off topic again. Um, (laughs) Let's say a child has awesome care in the NICU. They do really well and they're sent home. That's not the end of care for preemies, right? Like there's more to it. So you're absolutely right. And thanks for getting us back (laughs) onto the topic of of like NICU NICU and infant care specifically. (laughs) And so, I mean, unfortunately, like this is a, this, this talk has been a lot of gloom and doom, right? And, and talking about life and death issues. And uh, racial disparity is not just about life and death. It's also about just the quality of care and other services that an infant might receive. And so um, even if an inf- infant survives, Black infants have lower rates of referral to early inter- intervention. So meaning if you're born early, your brain is born early, your whole body's born early. And so you need extra support to have all the normal developmental milestones, you know, verbal, motor, all of these things that like we want our children to continue to grow up and be very healthy and to achieve their full potential, whatever their their own individual potential is. And so things like access to early intervention services, meaning the physician and the care team appropriately putting referrals in, there is a difference for black NICU grads and white NICU grads. Other things like breastfeeding support. So when they've studied and asked moms, like, did you receive support with breastfeeding your infant? There's different rates, like respondents say that they did or did not. And there's more breastfeeding support in general for white moms than for black moms. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is a life and death issue, but it is also um, an issue for other aspects of the, the care an infant receives. I... I'm learning a lot, right? But it's also, you are affirming and confirming what I already knew, but I didn't have the language or the information for. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm a black, I'm a whole black woman walking around America. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I already recognize and having my own pregnancy and, you know, in healthcare and things like that. I appreciate you bringing the language and the information um, to back up what I already know. So thank you for that. Um, I know you look so sad. You're like, yeah, it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is sad. I mean, this is terrible. I'm like, this is like, it's, this is a hard thing to talk about. I'm sure it's a hard thing for a lot of people to listen mm-hmm. to, but at the same time, you know, I, I can appreciate what you're saying of like, someone's like, oh yeah, this is real. I knew it was real. I just couldn't prove it. But other, luckily other people are studying this, you know, don't take my word for it. Look at March of Dimes, look at vital statistics for your state. If you are in my area, or if you just want a, a resource that has put things together really well, like Cradle Cincinnati, like other people are looking at this and have the facts and figures to back it up. Awesome. Okay. It's why we all need to bring our gifts because I am terrible at science. <laughs> and some of that is a choice. <laughs> but, you know, um, I appreciate those who can bring us the things we need to know. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at science. I, I did start out, I was actually, I went to college because I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. I am not a pediatrician <laughs> at all. <laughs> But I do work with kids. <laughs> so, you got the kids part right. <laughs> I got the kids part, but that attrition part. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, so that works. I want to say something here. So for our listeners, Kara, you mentioned March of Dimes and all the research they're doing and things like that. I absolutely recognize in all my years of doing pro-life work, a lot of people have their own issues with March of Dimes and, you know, it might be controversial to, to use them as a reference. We're not telling you our stance on March of Dimes or our pro-life stance has changed in any way. We are telling you we have good data and good information, and we're going to use that good data and good information to help save more babies and more children. So no matter what your personal, for our listeners, no matter what your personal issues are with March of Dimes or whether they are quote unquote pro-life enough for you, (laughs) that does not matter. They have provided a lot of information that get women the best care they can get Mm -hmm. for their children. Mm -hmm. So you guys know me, I don't shy away from topics like this. So (laughs) don't at me or at us about March of Dimes and Mm -hmm. using it as a reference. They have good data. And at the end of the day, if you can find something that you can 100% agree with that can get you good enough data, then by all means. I just want to be very clear. And I really do appreciate your use of that. Sometimes we have to go outside of what we know or what we think we know to get to know more. And so I just want to make sure that we bring that up and that we talk about that part of it. So please don't discount the really good data and really good information because you may disagree with March of Dimes. And that's a good point. And I will say probably like a, a less controversial organization that may have public facing resources, because clearly, like, I know I have access to a lot of studies that, you know, are like subscription only the hospital is paid for or something like that to get journal articles. But American Academy of Pediatrics also has information, I believe that's public facing, meaning a listener would be able to Google and look at racism and health outcomes and would be able to see some of, you know, that organization's stance on the issue. But I I think we can all recognize like there's the truth out there, but then there's a lot of misinformation. So, you know, always have a critical lens when you're reading something. And even though I mentioned the CNN article, you know, that that was clearly intended to be a public article and not like a scientific report, even if it did link to any scientific report. So I think people use your best judgment, use some common sense when you are trying to review facts and figures. 
Yes. Thanks. Always great advice. <laughs> <laughs> always, always, always. Under the field. So Shannon, I've, I've done a lot of talking and we both done a lot of talking. What are, do you have some thoughts or I, cause I've been like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like from a personal perspective, I have witnessed this kind of in the, in the negative, as you would say, like, or in the lack of, uh, as an African-American woman who is light skinned and presents very much as a white person, I have always received good care because people don't have an implicit bias towards my skin color. And because I have also had in my social location, I also have access to excellent private healthcare and excellent hospitals. But at the same time, I see how the gap in care that people in my same circumstances who are maybe uh, Hispanic and darker or black or whatever receive different care. Um, So that is real. And also, um, interestingly, like some of the things that would be genetically linked to um, African-Americans like sickle cell anemia, things like that. Um, I had to ask to be tested for because there's an assumption uh, when I went into the doctor, they would check my race box without asking me. And so like there are certain medical things that I was like, no, you need to know this. And also as, as Kara talked about, I think some of those things that are linked to race because of the stress of racial trauma, things like type two diabetes, depression, all of those things that I might be more likely to be screened for because of my racial background. So uh, this is a much more complex issue because race is a social construct. We don't always examine all the ways that people need and deserve medical care. And along with that, I think all that we've talked about, as I said earlier, really points to a need to think very broadly about pro-life objectives and initiatives, to think very broadly about how things like nutrition, housing, wages, environment have a direct impact on our health. When we talk about healthcare, like whatever your stance is on universal healthcare for all, you're thinking when I go to the hospital, (laughs) you're not necessarily thinking about what's the drinking water like, or do I have trees in my neighborhood, right? Just things like that. I think Pope Francis does a great job of talking about this in his encyclical Laudato Si, that like, it's not just about one thing, everything's interconnected. And so we've looked at this specifically through the lens of race. But as Kara said, if you're pro-life, you should care about these things, you know, so a few months ago, Shannon and I had a difficult conversation with a friend of ours, someone who we do really respect very much about what the strength of a black woman is. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things she, an example she gave was she's like, well, yeah, the black girl babies are released from the NICU a lot sooner than the white boy babies that just should show you how strong they are. And here's the thing. I am <laughs> definitely a strong black woman, right? And I'm strong because of circumstances and having to like, you have to flex muscles and you don't, you can't get muscles without trauma. (laughs) Like, no, that's a real thing. Like someone who also lifts, like I'm strong physically and mentally, like I have to put trauma on my muscles to get them to grow and be strong. And I was like, well, no, that's because of racism. Um, Because a baby, a black baby and a white baby both have strength of a baby. And we've resolved this just so you know, guys know we've talked to our friend. It is yeah. more than resolved. It was just a yeah. common, like quote unquote, common knowledge. Like, Oh yeah. 
It Black is. people are trapped. So this Black is the issue. It's his babies. And it's like, um, actually, <laughs> no. And so we, and it was really great. It was a really fruitful conversation and outcome mm-hmm. and things like that. But if one person thought it, how many more people think it? So this is the most common uh, NICU misconception in terms of like the doctors and the nurses. And this is actually addressed in the National Association for Neonatal Nurses statement and everything like that. There is this concept that there's a wimpy white boy and that a black girl is stronger than a wimpy white boy. Mm. But that is not, that's malignant to think that. That Mm. means that you are going to look at the two babies and say, it's fine. This little black baby's got it. Like they don't need this extra respiratory support or they don't need this extra help with whatever. Like they'll, they got it versus you know, you, you would look at the white, the wimpy white boy and be like, oh, okay, they do, they're going to need extra help um, with the respiratory support. They're need extra help with a bottle feeding, stuff like that. So like that is a pervasive, you know, phrase and thing that people talk about that is it's malignant. Like people need to uh, abandon that belief. But to your point of like the reason a black woman is strong um, and it's because they've had to be strong. So I, I think you're going to like this. So, you know, Cradle Cincinnati has a specific initiative called Queens Village, and they're a supportive community um, of powerful Black women who kind of come together to repower and relax. And their website is blackwomenforthewind.com, which I think is yeah. just like a great <laughs> yes. website name. Yes. I felt some way about that. Okay, <laughs> go on. Okay, <laughs> that is um, blackwomenforthewind.com. <laughs> <laughs> And just like to reiterate, uh, just from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint, we are not saying that like people are terrible people for having these biases because they are culturally conditioned. So if that is something that you think, right, because we have been told black women are strong, black women are strong, right? So it, it conditions our thinking about who these people are, just like we've been conditioned to say America is a free country, right? Like that's a cultural value you that we constantly promote <laughs> it costs a lot to be a free country <laughs> it costs money to live here yes and ideas can be wrong and people holding ideas can still be people who care about things right. like medical care right like yes. it doesn't make them yeah. less caring <laughs> yes Thanks for saying that, Shannon, because like, I'm nervous, I'll be honest, like nervous doing this podcast, because I'm nervous that someone's going to say like, well, how can you say that? Because like, here's something you've said or a way that you've acted. And they might be right. You know, I've read the book, like me and white supremacy, and you and you have to work through it and go like, how have I Mm -hmm. upheld white supremacy? And it's just like, no one is perfect. Because the issue is that this is like, in all aspects of our culture, this is not like, you are or you aren't racist. So I was a little nervous to like do this because I'm like, oh man, someone can like give an example of like, you said this thing one time. I'm like, you're probably right. And like, I shouldn't have and call me out. Mm -hmm. That's real. Oh my gosh. There are so many things that I've said that are out there on the internet that one day someone's going to be like, but you said this at that time. And I go, yeah, I sure did. I believed it at that time. And guess what happens? I know better. And now I'm doing better. Mm -hmm. And that's just how it works. (laughs) Like that's a real, it's real thing. So thank you so much, Kara. Thank you um, for giving us that thorough overview. Seriously, it's a really complicated reality. So I appreciate you breaking it down and talking to us about it. We are really incredibly grateful for your expertise and your time. 
You're welcome. Can I just highlight a few other organizations that I yeah, personally support? So if people are listening and they're like, what do I do about this? Yeah, they're like, I'm not a hospital administrator. Now what? So I mentioned Cradle Cincinnati. I mentioned Queens Village. You know, those are that's an organization. Cradle Cincinnati is like specifically working on infant mortality. And Queens Village is specifically trying to elevate Black women's voices and like not just racial disparities, but just overall conditions that can drive inequity. So like those are those organizations, right? And then I think representation matters. So the more Black doctors we have, you know, the more people we have that are going to bring their voice to the table and everything, I think it's going to be a, a better hospital system, a better medical care system and healthcare system. And so two organizations that I have supported are, so I'm giving them the shout out, Black Girl White Coat. So Black Girl White Coat works on providing mentorship and scholarship to underrepresented medical students to help them kind of get through medical school, get to being a doctor, um, you know, which is obviously like, it's hard. It's, it's many years. Yes. We said at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I said, like, I'm glad I'm the age I am. I'm like, yeah, because if I was in my like teens or 20s, I'd still be in training. Like, it's a long road. <laughs> so we got to push and pull people up to get through it. Yeah. Um, so Black Girl White Coat is working on that. And then also 15 White Coats, they additionally have a mission of putting the faces of Black physicians, Black medical students as a an example for school children that could, they could say like, oh, hey, that could be me someday. Like, I want to grow up and be like them. So those are other organizations to check out and consider supporting. Awesome. Okay. Well, speaking of like shouting out things, we have reached the best part of the episode. That's not really the podcast. The part of the episode where we get to get you involved in things that we like. Mm-hmm. It's the offertory. Woo! All right. So I'll start. I don't have a ton of stuff to offer because I have been in my camp bubble. I've been in my camp bubble and I'm loving it. And I have one more week of it and I'm very sad for it to go. The first thing that I want to offer are the Prepperidge Farm chessmen. That cookie. Oh, yeah, the cookie. That cookie mm-hmm. is delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. I just want, like, it is an oldie but a goodie. And yeah. they sell the mini chessmen. They have them and they're just they're little snackies. They're not like a hundred calorie pack. Like, you yeah. get all the <laughs> calories yeah. in these little chessmen. <laughs> but man, I'm like all about it. I don't know what it is. I just, uh, someone sent me just a whole box of mini chessmen and some coffee because I have the best followers on Instagram. And so they sent it to me and I've just been like working my way through them this whole summer. Cause I didn't take them to camp with me. I come home and I, when I'm not kidding, I was like in the car yesterday on my way back and I go, I can't wait to get <laughs> like, I can't go to a store and get them, but um, they're just so perfectly good and buttery. Also getting messy. Mm. I have been I have not been as clean as I want to be this summer because I've been a camp director for kids and getting messy has been such a less stressful part of my day where it's like, it's going to be messy. It's camp. And I think that the need to have everything, like I'm, I'm a messy person, like period in my life, um, but, but getting actually like physically messy. It's just been I'm like, oh, it'll wash off or, oh, it's fine. So that, and then also abide women services. I want to shout out Cecily. They are located in Dallas, Texas, and they do a lot of work with maternal health care and making and doing awareness. Cecily is a formal board member of New Way Feminist. Mm -hmm. And 
she has moved on and made her own organization. And it's really wonderful. And they bring a lot of awareness to a lot of issues, Black maternal mortality rate and things like that. And they they do really great work. They're actually, Seth is actually going to be speaking for our CUBL webinar in August. So you can also tune into that. What about you, Carol? What do you have to offer us? Okay. Everything bagel seasoning. I get it at Aldi. You can get it at Trader Joe. I'm sure Kroger yeah. has it. You know, yeah. wherever you shop, stuff at my I house. think <laughs> you can just make any meal, whatever leftovers you have, roast some vegetables, some grain, whatever. And you put that stuff on it and it's a meal, in my opinion. <laughs> it's like you can get a stew on like <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> Carl Weathers. <laughs> also, I've got I've got a subtraction that I think is going to add to your life. Get rid of a social media account. Not maybe not Instagram if you're following uh, a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think you know in your heart which one it is that you like. It's draining you and not adding to your life. Just delete it. You will not. I don't think you'll regret it. That has been on my list for a long time, but I run social media for our parish, so I can't get off. And I just like someday. Someday, (laughs) someone else will do this. Uh, And also, Marcia, there by my house growing up, you may know this, there is a Pepperidge Farm outlet store where they send all the messed up cookies or whatever. So if they print them wrong or upside down or something, you can- How do I not know about this? Yeah. um, Call, absolutely. Call is my mom. I'm going to call your mom. Her mom is That's where it is. (laughs) Because she bought us all the things. So yeah, we always had Pepperidge Farm stuff growing up because like it would be half off or whatever because somebody like, you know, flipped the cookie around the wrong way. Oh, I'm calling your mom. Your yeah. mom and I are going. We're going. It's happening. Mm-hmm. I live 20 minutes away from Shannon's childhood home. Like, mm-hmm. so like I okay. want to Shannon's friends from home just so the people under, some people don't know that if we have new listeners that like... <laughs> That's how this works. Shannon lives three hours away from me now, but mm-hmm. I live about 20 minutes away from the rest of her family <laughs> and her husband's family. <laughs> so there's that. Mm-hmm. So Shannon, what do you have to offer us? I have three things as well. Um, first, I found for Mother's Day, because like we were once again separate from our mothers for Mother's Day the second year in a row because of COVID. Uh, we probably could have gone, but you know, life. And so I had to come up with like, we can't just send more flowers. It's not, you know. So I found a website called Crate Joy, create like a crate, a box Mm -hmm. that you put stuff in, uh, where you can find subscription services. So it's like a collection. It's like an Amazon for subscription services. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) createjoy.com. And I found two things that like, I got one for my mom and one for um, Eric's. And I could find things within both of their interests and all that sort of stuff. And it was awesome. And I was like looking through, I'm like, oh, a book and a tea (laughs) that comes every month or whatever. Like I was like, I might spend a lot of money on these subscriptions. And I love a subscription box. The other thing I, uh, I am also recommending magazine subscriptions. I love magazines. And I just subscribed to, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. There's a magazine here called Indianapolis Monthly. Great magazine. Finally getting it in my mailbox. So excited. 
But, you know, maybe you have a local magazine where you live or you have better homes and gardens or time. I'm still a magazine. I don't know. But I love it. You're bringing it back. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. It's like once a month you get good journalism into your mailbox and you get to hold it. And maybe there's a cool picture on the cover, like National Geographic. I don't know. Whatever. Magazine subscriptions. Uh, And then the last thing, the last thing I'm going to recommend is stretching. As many of you know, last week I was in bed for half the week because I was sick, but I started to get that, like, I haven't moved in a long time thing, you know, like at hospitals, they move you around on purpose because if you're in bed too long, that's not good for your body. So I was feeling like, do I remember how to walk? Not so much, but I did some stretching. Um, I personally do do Pilates sometimes or, or yoga, but like I just pulled a few, you know, stretches, did a couple um, runners pose and all that sort of stuff. And I felt so much better. Your muscles are meant to be moved. So stretch. Yeah. So they can get stronger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to start singing Britney Spears, hashtag free Britney. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that's another, that's a permanent offertory, free Britney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gosh, so that's our show. That that's it. We got that. But <laughs> with that, with that stretching, we don't want to stretch our time with you any more than we have. <laughs> and we want to thank you again for joining us. You can follow us on Instagram at PSBB Podcast. Do not delete that app. Um, you can follow me at Stylishly Sia. You can follow Shannon at Team Quarter Black. And you can follow our guest Kara at at Kara McNeilis, but I never post on Instagram, guys. That's a, that's like the worst follow. But you're welcome to follow me. <laughs> but you do have a Twitter. Twitter is better. Twitter is at Neo underscore nutrition. Awesome. You can email us at platskirtsandbasicblack at gmail.com or visit our website, www.psbbpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcast. As always, we appreciate your support by shopping our merch at shop.spreadshirt.com slash podcast or becoming a Patreon subscriber by going to patreon.com slash podcast. We'd like to say thank you to God for giving us all the beautiful babies he has created remind us how good life truly is. Thank you to all the medical professionals who work so hard to care for others and give them the best quality of life they can have. Thanks to all those activists and advocates who work to improve access to healthcare and put an end to the racial disparities that continue to exist in our world, especially maternity deserts, because those still exist in 2021. I can't believe it. Thank you also to Jazar for our theme song, Seas of Mars, which you're bobbing your head to right now. You know you are. Don't pretend like you're not. Thank you so much, Kara, for joining us today and schooling us in the good word about NICU care. Can I get an amen? Amen! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Shannon, for being such a wonderful and patient co-host. Right back at your friend. (laughs) Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us in this weighty but important conversation. We're looking forward to being with you all again next week. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Bye. Bye.